Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer, Father, this morning is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word, and it's a word for our hearts. Amen. Amen. When I was a kid, which I'm sorry to say was getting longer and longer ago every day, you knew where a person lived by their phone number. Right? Everybody who lived north of Trenton was a 201, and everybody who lived south of Trenton was a 609. I was a 609. Now, you also knew that every town had their own what was called exchange. I grew up in Haddon Township. My mom still lives there, and you were either an 858 or an 854. And you knew if you met a pretty girl at the roller rink, and she was from 609-858, you knew where she lived. Or she could have been a, a, a 547. Audubon, right? And you, you knew, um, 845? She was from Woodbury, there you go, Paul. And you knew where they were by their phone number. Well... I don't know if you know this, but North Jersey and South Jersey are very different. <laughs> and North Jersey is more industrial. We have more tomatoes growing down here. I'm sorry to say that, you know, there's only one farm left in Cherry Hill. Yes, they make great pies. They're over on Evesham Road, but that's Springdale Farm. That's it. There's one left. New South Jersey used to be all farms. Tomatoes and corn everywhere, and then the industrial was up north. And we have opinions about North Jersey. They have the mistaken belief that you should call pork roll Taylor ham. Where did that come from? And they cheer for New York teams. That's just depressing. They cheer for the Jets and the Giants. No. Down here we cheer for Philly teams. Eagles and Phillies. Flyers, right? The Wings. Uh, Brenda's not here, but her crew cheer for the soul. They, they go to soul uh, indoor football games. Oh, we're Philly people. We have soft pretzels, real soft pretzels that you can buy on the corner. They've been out in the carbon monoxide all day long, and they have a Philly pretzel taste, and there's an identity that comes with that. Now, I want you to think of Israel. There was north and there was south, but it was almost exactly flipped. The north was where the shepherds were and the fishermen were. And if you know anything about shepherds and fishermen, they're not easy on the nose. And the rich people, the businesses, the industry down in the south, looked down at the people in the north. I don't know about you, but sometimes North Jersey looks down at us, not just because they're north. I also don't like the fact that all of the big lottery winners are up there. Do you know why? There's a reason that more people win the lottery in North Jersey than in South Jersey. There's more people in North Jersey. If more people buy it, they have a higher probability, our, our statisticians would tell us. So here's what's happening. Jesus, in essence, is walking from the agrarian food industry area the sheep and the fish, down to Jerusalem, which is the center of Israel. That's where the business is. That's where the money is. That's where the money changers are. That story comes up later in the book of Luke. And on the way, he's passing by the equivalent of Camden. 
Not the Camden we grew up with, with the Gimbel's Tower and the YMCA when Camden was the place to live, but the scary Camden that we have now, where you don't want to drive at night, you don't want to walk alone. Just nod. It was a scary place. It was called Samaria. And they had Jewish roots, but they weren't really Jewish. And they had Assyrian roots, but they weren't really Assyrians. And nobody wanted them. And it was a scary place. It gets worse. In between the north and the south was where people with skin diseases lived. Now, I want you to hear that the Bible called them lepers. And we, in the 21st century, have a very clear vision of what leprosy is. And leprosy was a disease that kills your nerve endings. Then you can't feel. So when you get cut, it gets infected. But the infection doesn't hurt. And then you get gangrenous, and literally parts of your body would rot and fall off. And they didn't know how you got leprosy, so they decided the best way to handle this, and the Bible even has laws about it, as soon as you had a virulent or an obvious skin condition of any kind, there was a, a prescribed washing, and then you went to the priest, and the priest said, that ain't going away, you were no longer welcome in polite society, and you were ejected. Now, the lepers would hang together, usually in a valley, and their loved ones would bring food and clothing, if available, and leave it at the top of the valley. They would shout to their families, you know, we love you, we miss you. They would leave, and then the lepers would come get the stuff. Lepers were not really encouraged to travel. Once you went to the leper colony, you stayed in the leper colony. But not everybody there had what we would call leprosy. It could have been eczema. It could have been psoriasis. It could have been a rash that doesn't go away. Now, if it did go away, you could do a ceremonial washing, go to the priest, and he would declare you clean and ready to go back to society. The priest did not do the miracle, but he acknowledged that the healing took place. If lepers traveled, they had to shout to the people around them so nobody would get too close because they did not know how the disease was transmitted. And they didn't shout, get out of the way, or if you're in a bike race and you're slow like I am, they shout, on your left, which means slow people on the right and the fast people on the left. No, they had to shout, unclean, 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 and people would know to stay away. So this group of 10 lepers, think about this, has left their leper colony. And we know something about them. Nine of them are not Samaritans. So what are they? Jews. They're Jews who know the rules for dealing with leprosy and for washing and going to the priest and being declared able to go back. And one of them is the Samaritan who doesn't have to follow those rules because he's not Jewish. We also know some other things about it. They're traveling. Now, they have no place to go. So we can guess with our God-given gift of imagination, which is what my preaching professor in seminary called it, why are they traveling? It's not that hard to guess. Wiki is forbidden to answer. Why are these 10 lepers on the road? Well, no. They're looking for something. 
They're looking for someone. They're looking for Jesus. They've heard the stories. Jesus has made blind people see. He's made lame people walk. He's actually touched lepers, which nobody did, and they were healed. And they're like, you know what? We can sit here in the leper colony and get sicker, or we can go look for Jesus. Which I, I love this because in the last four weeks, we've heard three different parables about Jesus looking for us. These people went looking for Jesus. It doesn't happen often. Very rarely will somebody come in the back door, run down the front and say, Pastor, I need to know Jesus now. Usually you have to invite them and preach to them and pray for them. These people went looking for an encounter with Jesus on their own. All ten of them. By the way, I have so far away from my notes, I don't even know where I am. But we're, we're doing a good job, so we're going to keep going. Jesus does several things in this story that he does no other place in Scripture. And this story is only in the book of Luke. So, he does long-distance healing. I want you to think about that. There were ten lepers, and Jesus was followed by a crowd. One leper could probably get through, but ten people shouting, unclean, unclean, it was a custom if they got too close to throw rocks at them. Because you don't want yourself or your children or your family to get this, whatever disease they had. So they are calling to Jesus just out of rock-throwing distance. I want you to hear, right? And what do they cry? Master, have mercy on us. They didn't ask to be healed. Now we know from our study of Scripture that mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's very telling because people in Jesus' day believed that if you had an obvious, virulent skin disease, you were being punished by God for something. And they had a good reason to believe this because you remember several times in the Old Testament when God was unhappy with someone, he gave them leprosy. Even Moses' sister Miriam, when he married an Ethiopian, she said, you can't marry her. And God turned her arm leprous. So there is good foundational information to believe that if I have a virulent ongoing skin disease, God is mad at me. Have mercy on me, says God. I don't know why you're mad at me, or maybe I do, but can you take it away? Mercy is when the judge removes the penalty. I want you to hear something here. In some ways, all of us are leprous. All of us have a sin on our heart that keeps us separate from God. And all of us one day will be judged by the same God who in the Old Testament smote people. I got to tell you, it would be a lot easier to preach to you if God smote people like he did in the old days. I could get my prophet stick out. I could grow my beard really long and I'd say, listen to me or God will smite you. He'll burn down your house. He'll fill your car with frogs. Locusts will eat your tomato plants. I mean, there was some excellent smiting in the Old Testament. I don't have that opportunity anymore. God doesn't fill cars with frogs or smite your tomato plants. What does he say? He says, I can heal you. I can grow you. But you have to come to me. So what does Jesus say to these people that are asking for mercy? And I want you to know that having been a hospital chaplain, sometimes mercy means I'm done. To be absent from the body 
Be present with the Lord. Take me with you, Lord. Make the pain go away. Make the pain on my family go away. Make the burden go away. The Egyptians in Jesus' time called leprosy the death before death. So Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest. Now everybody knew the rules, and the rules were you had to be skin disease free and then show yourself to the priest. So some of them are having that awkward moment. Jesus, I still have a virulent and obvious skin disease. Why would I go to the priest? And then perhaps somebody said to them, like the servant girl said to Naaman in the Old Testament, if the prophet had asked you to do some great and mighty thing, would you have done it? Yes. Then go take seven dips in the Jordan River. Jesus didn't even ask them to dip in the river. He didn't ask them to make mud and put it on their eyes. He just said, go. And all ten went. What great faith all ten of these men had. I want you to think about this. We usually pick on the nine. Right? Well, only one came back and said, thank you. We say, where are the other nine? And Jesus pointed it out. But think about the great faith these nine men had, or ten men had. They left the support and the protection of the leper colony. They went looking for Jesus. They asked for mercy. And when he said, go to the priests, all ten of them went. Now, they're walking to the priest, and one of them is going, I heard he touched people. Did he touch you? No, he didn't touch me. Did he touch you? No, he didn't touch me. I heard he made that mud with the spit one day. Did he put mud on you? No, he didn't put mud on me. Mud on you? Didn't put mud on me. What do you think's going to... And they stopped and they looked. And they realized, the first guy goes, look at my arm. Look at my arm. It's gone. It's gone. And the next guy goes, look at my leg. And now we have 10 guys examining themselves and figuring out that Jesus has done a great miracle. Now, if I have not seen Vicki for two weeks when I'm in West Virginia preaching at Bible camp, I got to tell you, I drive home quicker from West Virginia than it takes me to get there. And imagine some of these men had not seen their families and their children and their town for years. And they completely forgot about the priest at the temple and they completely forgot about Jesus. And they did, I'm sorry to say, what most of us would probably do, and they ran to the people they loved, except for the one man. The one man, the Samaritan, the guy from Camden, if you will, runs back praising God the whole way. Wouldn't you have loved to hear that song, that prayer of praise, as he ran all the way back to Jesus? And it must have been a significant distance because he had to run. And I want to get another t-shirt. This is not a Bible t-shirt, but it'll say, the only thing about, I like about running is the feeling you get when you stop. He came running back, praising God, throws himself at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. I want you to hear this. This is probably the most important thing of the message today. 
Healing is not wholeness. Write, write that down if you're taking notes. Healing is not wholeness. They were healed, but the sin in their life, the thing for which God might have been punishing them, the thing that separates everybody in this room from God, was still there, except for the one. The miracle is that Jesus' love for us on the cross shows us that wholeness comes with gratitude, acceptance, and praise. Like I was trying to tell the children in the children's message. Praise is our thanks to God. Worship is our thanks to God. And it says that God inhabits the praise of his people. One man got completely whole, not just healed, but whole. He turned alienation into hallelujahs. Now, Horace Greeley, the uh, famous editor, got a letter from a lady at a church. She said, Pastor, we are in financial dire straits, and this is what we have done. And she sent him a list. I wrote it down. She said, we've had a strawberry festival, an oyster supper, a donkey party, a dinner party, and a boxed social, which must have been something they did in the 1800s because I have no idea what a boxed social is. How can we keep our church from disbanding? Horace Greeley's answer to her was two words. Try Christianity. Sometimes we get so busy doing stuff, we forget the message of the Savior. I want to finish with a story, a true story of a missionary from France. And his name was Joseph, and he was the second son of a French family. And his older brother, Philippe, got called to the priesthood. And Joseph also felt called. But when they examined him, they decided, I'm sorry to say, that he was not really bright enough to be a priest. He failed the entrance exam, so to say. And his brother went on to be a priest. And he said, well, I still feel called to serve, and I'll be a monk. And he became a brother in the order of the Sacred Heart. And he was serving in the community where his brother was and a missionary from Oceania. Now I had to look that up. That's what they used to call Hawaii came. And shared with a great need for the gospel to be shared in Hawaii. And Joseph felt called to go. And they said, well, no, you're not a priest. We're only sending priests. And his brother, Philippe, felt called to go, and at the last minute, Philippe got very ill and could not go. And Joseph petitioned again, I, I feel called by God to go, I feel called by God to go, and his local board said no, and he went over their heads, and he petitioned the bishop, and the bishop said, you know, young man, you're not allowed to go out of the order of succession, and your punishment is, you have to go to Hawaii as a missionary. What a brilliant bishop. On the boat with the four other priests, they said, you know what? Let's train you as a priest. And by the time he got to Hawaii, he was ordained as a priest. And the custom then was to change your name. And he changed his name to Father Damien. And he served four little parishes in Hawaii. And the struggle in Hawaii was this. During the day, people were decidedly Christian. 
They served God. They went to Mass. They got baptized, sent their kids to Christian school. And at night, the witch doctors were still in charge. And one night he was in the rectory and he heard this blood-curdling scream. But he was afraid to go out into the jungle at night, so he waited till the next morning. And about a mile away from the rectory, he found an altar and evidence of a human sacrifice in front of a large stone idol. And he said, with the anger of God, he pushed the idol over and it broke into bits. He chopped down a, a bamboo or, or a tree or something and he made a cross and he stuck it in the ground right in front of the broken idol so everybody would know that God had been there and what he had done. And the witch doctors made a big deal of putting a curse on Father Damien. He was going to die in a hundred different horrible ways. And guess what? Nothing happened. And it pretty much negated the power of the witch doctors. And you would think that that's the end of the story, but it isn't. A missionary from further out in the islands, in the Hawaiian islands, came in and shared about a place, and I had to write it down because I don't speak Hawaiian. It was called... How dare it? It was called... Molokai. And it was a peninsula off the end of an island. And they actually designated the entire peninsula as a leper colony. And here was the nice thing. It was separated because they still didn't know how leprosy was transmitted in the 1850s. But it had fresh water. It had fruit trees. It had ample wood so that they said the lepers could build a community and live a long and happy life. It looked really good on paper. Except lepers are sick. And they were ill and they were lethargic and they didn't build anything and they were fighting over the food that was available and it had this horrible reputation and 800 lepers lived there and 200 of them were Roman Catholic. Damien hears again the call of God and he says, I think I should go. And the bishop in Hawaii says, if you go, you can't come back. You know, leprosy is contagious. This is a one-way call to missions. And he says, I volunteer. And he went to Molokai, not knowing that he would be the priest and the nun and the teacher and the carpenter and the undertaker. And he begins to minister. And he's sending letters to his mission board. Please send more help. Please send more help. Please send more help. They don't send any more help. And he breaks the rules and he leaves the leper colony, he goes to the mission board and makes such an impassioned plea that Princess Lily, Lily Okuwani, sorry, I butchered that, I'm sure, becomes his patron and supports his ministry at Molokai. Now, the legend is that he started every sermon, brethren. Every sermon, brethren, and then he would preach the gospel until one day in 18... I wrote it down. I think 1885, he started his sermon, We Lepers. He stayed there long enough that he caught the leprosy. And he died there ministering. We all have a leprosy of the heart. We all are alienated from God by our sin. We all are in need of healing and in need of wholeness. 
And God invites, God calls, God waits. But God will never force someone to come to him. It's an invitation. And that's where we're moving to now. It's an invitation. And there, there are really three things going on here. The first thing is that attitude, not aptitude, determines your altitude. It's an attitude of thanks. It's an attitude of praise. It's an attitude of prayer and worship. So if you need on this day to admit that you need mercy, you need the mercy of God, there is a sin in your life, there is a challenge in your life, you have never made a decision for Christ. Today, you could admit that you need mercy. You can accept God's grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You not only get forgiven, but you get eternal life. Or you could allow God to call you to his purpose. Father Damien heard the call and the mission board said no. And he got ordained anyway. He heard the call to Hawaii. The mission board said no. And he got to Hawaii anyway. The mission board said, we can't send anybody to Molokai. It's a one-way journey. And he heard the call. And he went. And he died ministering and doing God's will. I don't know where you are today, but during our last hymn, as always, you were invited to the front to pray with Wiki, myself, for the deacons about any of these things. But today my heart for you is that you not only be healed, but you find wholeness. Amen.